0: any hunt any range go beyond what you ever thought possible with new federal premium terminal ascent its bonded construction penetrates deep on close targets while the exclusive slipstream polymer tip helps flatten trajectories and initiate lower velocity expansion at longer ranges terminal ascent gives you match grade long range accuracy and a bonded hunting bullet there is no better hunting bullet on the market today and it's available in a full selection of long range hunting cartridges including the 6.5 Creedmoor, 280 Ackley Improved, 28 Nozzler, 7mm Remington Mag, 30-06, and 300 Win Mag. Welcome to the Southern Ground Hunting Podcast. I'm your host, Parker McDonald, and this is episode number 85. We are in part two of the Local Legends series, and today we got a special treat for you guys. Man, I am blown away by the guy's knowledge this is ryan carter and ryan hunts public land in the everglades everything is different down there as you're going to see so stay tuned it's a great episode this is the southern ground hunting podcast right everybody welcome back to the show I'm really excited about this episode this is part two of local legends we have been um, really excited about this series all summer and really since last year everybody loved it so much that we decided to do it again and uh, man this one is no different last week we talked to Nathan Killen from Virginia and we talked about mountain bucks and this time we're going all the way like to the opposite end of the spectrum and we're talking to a guy from south florida named ryan carter now ryan is a uh a public land deer hunter hardcore guy and honestly when you think about the everglades when you think about south florida the first thing that comes to your mind is probably not deer hunting but in fact we learned in this episode that it is a pretty Uh, Big deal down there, but it's just a lot different, and Ryan goes into detail about some of the differences of hunting South Florida versus other parts of the country, Um, differences in the rut, um, differences in just the way that the deer travel, and uh, we get into a lot of of things that Ryan does, um, everything from his setup, where deer move, his scouting, um, some pretty neat little things that are quite different uh, down there as opposed to pretty much everywhere else in the area of cyber scouting and some of the things that he's looking for Brian um, is super successful on public land down there in the Everglades um, infested with pythons and alligators and everything that you think of when you think Everglades and this guy is going out and being successful on mature bucks in the Everglades super cool episode I hope you guys will stay tuned for that just wanted to let you know that we are giving away a tethered phantom saddle throughout this series so at the end of the July we are going to uh, we're gonna announce the winner of that and here's all you have to do um, maybe you've seen it on Facebook or on Instagram uh, but I'm telling you right here all you have to do is go to YouTube type in southern ground hunting and find the channel um, you're gonna see a lot of content I say a lot not a ton of content but um, I've been working really hard to try to upload as much as I can of our old stuff and we'll quickly be doing a more new stuff on there as well. But um, we are not a part of the Sportsman's Nation YouTube channel anymore. Uh, we love the Sportsman's Nation. I love everything that um, that Sportsman's Nation stand for, all the content. And we are still on the Sportsman's Nation podcast network. But all of our video content is going to be moved on to our own channel. And that's the Southern Ground Hunting channel. And so with that, um, I'm asking you guys to go subscribe. And that's how you win tethered phantom saddle if you are already subscribed you don't have to do anything else um but if you're not subscribed and you want to win go to youtube subscribe to the southern ground channel um i'm hoping to bring you um i'm gonna do my best to bring you the best uh southern based hunting content on youtube so um Go check that out. Also, check us out on Facebook at Southern Ground Hunting and on Instagram. That's all lowercase, all one word, at Southern Ground Hunting. Want to let you guys know really quick about a discount code that you can use for Scree Gear. That's at screegear.com. You can use the code Southern Ground Hunting. Um, I'm sorry. Don't do that. You can use the code Southern Ground at checkout, checkout all lowercase, all one word, and uh, yeah, you get 15% off of your order. So, with that being said, let's get into part two of the Local Legends series with Ryan Carter. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Local Legends series on the Southern Groundhunting Podcast. We're really excited today because we have got something that is uh, entirely different, really, from anything that we've ever talked about. Um, And and I want to kind of preface it by saying this when we do an episode that has to do with people that are hunting in Florida um, it seems to get a lot more traffic people really enjoy that and here's here's why I think that is and Drew I will uh I'll, you're a Florida boy so I'm going to let you talk about this uh, here in just a second but um, when it comes to hunting in Florida I believe this is just a personal belief and I could probably find some statistics to prove it but I believe that um, hunting in Florida is the hardest state to whitetail hunt. I believe that with all my heart, and I don't live in Florida. I have hunted Florida, and I believe it to be the toughest whitetail state. Now, when it comes to hunting in Florida, there are, other, there are guys who are all over the state of Florida that are just absolutely crushing the game. We talk to a lot of them on here. But when I think about, like, South Florida, when I think about Drew the Everglades, I'm not yeah. thinking about deer hunting, right? like usually I'm thinking <laughs> where's a good spot that we could like go to a port to go on a cruise or something like that or <laughs> maybe we could go alligator hunt or something like that is is that is that kind of a, a far and wide opinion of even Florida residents drew
1: yeah i would i would say so parker um, um you know growing up in in North Florida, that was kind of um the the everglades were known more for their wildlife as a whole and 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 especially fishing um and so you can you can get some good spots in there fishing wise and then when i went to college i actually went to college in lakeland which is more southern florida i mean the the perception really um, didn't change much i mean the, the everglades is widely known as a a variety of uh, wildlife but especially on the um um uh, fishing side but now recently with you know the alligators and snakes and all that stuff those have kind of taken taken over the perception of it and so it's it's a it's a really interesting spot and um and then but to find somebody that you know kills uh um, white-tailed deer on it and not just white-tailed deer but has opportunities and harvest uh good bucks um uh, just like you said parker uh, florida is in my opinion the the hardest place to hunt and if you kill a 130 in florida I would I would venture to say it's a, it's equivalent to a Boone and Crockett um anywhere else, you know. Sure. Just just by the sheer uh especially on public land, if you can kill a deer like that on public land, man, that is the um that that is Boone and Crockett level, you know. And and so I'm excited to talk with our guests today. But it is such a cool episode, man. I'm I'm just so jacked for it.
0: Yeah. So with that being said, uh, we're going to welcome to the show Ryan Carter. Ryan, how's it going, buddy?
1: I'm doing great, guys.
2: Um, just living the dream, you know, hot, sunny, humid Florida.
0: <laughs> is it ever different where you're at? Like, is it pretty much that way all the time?
2: No, I mean, we get, it starts cooling down in uh, oh, it's January. We get a couple <laughs> of months of, of, a, of a little bit drier weather. We'll get some cooler weather from time to time. Um, I think this year, I think the lowest it got was down into the mid to low 40s. Um, that's still pretty so, chilly. Yeah, that, not, that's not, not a lot of cool weather. That's a... yeah. I mean, we you know every every couple of years we'll get a freeze, a good hard freeze down here, um, and that's you know everybody runs to the to the local Walmart to buy coats at that point. <laughs> but, <laughs> but other than that, it you know it's mostly just a humidity change, yeah. nice and cool, um, and a lot less humidity.
0: That's that's pretty cool, man. That's actually that's not cool at all. I would hate that. Um, that would be terrible. But uh, it what is cool is um, you you know through this local legend series, what we do is we talk to average guys who have had above average success, and you definitely fit the bill. And um, you were recommended re- recommended to me by my buddy Adam Cruz, and I really trust everything the guy says. So I did a little research and. Um, man, I got to say, dude, I'm totally impressed. So I'm super excited to get into this episode that's talking about hunting whitetail deer in the Everglades. But you, I want you to start out by saying um, right now, I mean, we're sitting here, it's July the 7th. We just celebrated the 4th of July, It's July the 7th. And you were talking earlier about seeing bucks chasing does hard horned right now. Talk about that for a second. Absolutely.
2: Yeah. Um it's an interesting it's an interesting deal down here. About ten years ago, eight, ten years ago or so, the uh FWC, the Florida Wildlife Commission actually held a big meeting or held several meetings in the state of Florida and actually changed the opener of archery, moved it a month ahead. So now it starts the end of July, beginning of August, depending on how that weekend falls, so that we can actually have an opportunity to hunt some of the rut. Um and it's a it's it's one of those crazy things where you'll have 10 does come by and none of them are in heat. And then all of a sudden you've got one doe that's hot and, and the deer are going crazy around her. Um, you know, I've seen them, like I said, June 1st, hardhorn running, chasing does, neck swollen, going to going into town. And then I've also on the flip side of that coin, seen spotted fawn as late as September. So depending on the area, depending on, I personally believe waterfall, and what I mean by that is we hunt swamps down here. Southern part of Florida is primarily swamps, and so I know, you know, out Midwest and up north, when it, when, when it gets colder, they, the, the rut tends to kick off mid-November-ish, early November, and, and that's when snowfall starts coming in, and I, I believe a lot of that has to do with, you know, the, them, them dropping their fawns at the right time of the spring. I believe the very same thing takes place here based upon waterfall. Hmm. And so when the water levels tend to rise, um, I believe that that will kind of kick off the rut up to, to some degree um, so that in the spring or in January and February when we're in our drier season, they're not dropping fawns in knee-deep, shin-deep water.
0: That makes a lot of sense. That's... Um, again,
2: Again, that's just my kind of putting it all together over the last 30 years of hunting down here but again um that's what i believe to be the case
0: so is this have you been hunting this same area were you born and raised right here and talk about when you started hunting and kind of the those moments that you were like yeah this is something i'm going to do forever
2: oh my gosh uh, so, yes, I was born in Florida. I live on the west coast of Florida, southwest, southwest Florida. Um, I'm fourth-generation Floridian or Florida Cracker. Um, <laughs> and the property that we is in the middle of Big Cypress, uh, my great-grandparents actually used to own a piece of property in Big Cypress. There are still a few landowners in there that really pushed back against the government when they, when they were taking it away. My grandparents, unfortunately, did not um but we still hunt the very same areas that that my great grandparents were hunting um you know 50 plus years ago wow 60 years ago so
0: that's uh, yeah it's um it's it's pretty incredible that is crazy so how old were you when you started like really started getting into uh hunting down there and it seems like it would be a tough thing to get into because when I think about my childhood growing up and a lot of people growing up, um, you got hooked by those, um, like, target-rich environments. Like, for me, living in West Texas, going to the hill country, I got hooked on it because I saw deer a lot when I first started and when I was a young kid. Going down there and started hunt, starting your whole hunting lifestyle down there has got to be a little bit more difficult. Tell me about that.
2: Um, so my so to access big Cypress, um, again, I talked about water swamps, big Cypress, the Everglades is essentially a river, um, just very shallow river. And so to access this place, you, you can really do it one of three ways. You can walk it, um, you can airboat in some areas, or you can build a swamp buggy and use that to access so growing up, um, my brother and I, it was, it was an adventure for us. Uh, you know, obviously we were very young. We, were, we started at the age of four and five. Um, very rugged terrain. But there were these great big giant man-made buggies, swamp buggies, with huge tires on them that were going, <laughs> we're going through the swamp and were getting stuck and we're building fires. And so it was really this, this big, great adventure that we were taking as kids um, that just kind of morphed into. Obviously, my, my dad and my uncles and my grandparents were hunting with us, and occasionally they would kill a deer, and we got to help hang it and skin it, and, and then then partake of the uh, the backs, the the loins as well. But it really just became this this awesome experience that we got to enjoy with the family, um, with, with the swamp buggies, and we would do some frog gigging. Um, and there weren't a ton of deer when I was younger. Uh, the population was kind of on the rise. Um, years and years and years ago, my dad used to tell me that you know the old timers, if it was brown, they shot it. Very seldomly ever saw a buck. Or a very very seldomly ever saw a buck. Uh, my uh, my great grandfather was was known for saying you can't eat those horns, and that's unfortunate <laughs> that those those people you know thought that way because. You know they they really did destroy the deer population so many years ago. But as far as as when I got started, gosh, I can't. I remember I remember my dad putting me in a stand and driving away on the swamp buggy, and I, I probably could have eaten a banana sideways at the grin on my face. I couldn't have been more than ten years old the first time he left me in the stand alone uh, with a rifle. Of course, I didn't see anything whatsoever. I could see half a mile around. I didn't see a single deer. But um, it, was, it was an incredible experience, and it was always something that I knew that, I, you know, from, from, I think, day one, that, that this was going to be a huge part of my life as long as I could physically do it.
0: That's pretty cool, man. I, so I, I, as you were talking, I looked up a swamp buggy. Um, my actual Google search was swamp buggy, swamp buggy Everglades. And I'm looking at this thing, and I'm like, yeah, that would hook me too, I think, as a kid. That's pretty freaking cool. <laughs> I got to know, how do you make a swamp buggy? Like, what's that built on?
2: Um, well, ours is built on, give me a second here. Um, it's a vehicle frame. And then from there, everything else is completely fabricated. <laughs> I can't remember what some type of... a. It wasn't a Jeep, it was a little longer. I forget exactly what frame we used. Our buggy we built um when I was twelve or thirteen. Me and my brother and my dad we built this thing. And uh, my dad had me and my brother, my, my older brother, Jay, he was fourteen, I was thirteen. And he had he was teaching us how to weld. We were grinding and we were just all these things when we were a kid and that was part of the experience. Um so it's kind of come up with an idea of what you want. Um, depending on the area you're hunting, we hunt through. We have to access through a lot of cypress and old, old, old Jeep buggy roads, which are very narrow. So we have to be careful of how wide we set our tires, how wide we set our deck, because we have to be able to maneuver through these these old roads, through cypress heads and um, rocks and muck and mud. And So I think we run... What do we run Dana 44 front end, or Dana, no Dana 70s front and rear. We're running an 18 46, tire. Um, 26 is the wheel size, so they come up about mid chest on me. I'm 6'2. Um, total weight on the vessel is about 4,200 pounds before we uh, load it with ice and coolers and people and guns and shells and all those good things. And yes, they will get stuck. And then the work really begins, um, but just a lot of fun, you know, and, and for years and there's a couple of places in Florida that still allow you to actually hunt from a swamp buggy. Um, and they, you know, there's a place up the road here from me called Cecil Webb Babcock web branch, 84,000 acres. It's a nine day general gun season. And you literally run over palmettos, jump the deer up, chase them down and shoot them wow and it's not much for a, a sport hunting it can be exciting it can be fun not really my cup of tea but at the same time it's part of the florida heritage and you kind of don't want to see that get taken away i you know
0: well and just to be honest it, it sounds like a whole lot more fun than sitting around at home playing video games like <laughs> it, it sure, is. It I, that sure looks, is i mean i'm is this something that's like standard? So you have like ATVs in the South and in the Midwest. Um, is this something that's like standard for hunting and deer hunters down there?
2: Um, if you're going to hunt the Cypress, yes. Um, now as, as, as the side-by-sides advance and the four-wheelers and ATVs have progressed, there are a lot of people that will use those now. Um, the problem is you can't see anything off of them. What I mean by that is when we're talking grass that's anywhere from waist high to 10 feet tall, it's kind of difficult to be able to see much off of them. If you're still hunting, um, that's perfectly fine because you're just going to get in, you're going to walk to your stand and those kinds of things. But mm-hmm. really to carry the gear with you that you need to spend four or five days and then take three or four people in there and actually camp and have the adventure and hunt a swamp buggy is Unless you're going to have a, several side by sides, um, a swamp buggy would be pretty much a crucial piece of um, the key. Yeah, so.
0: that's that's pretty cool. Like I'm, I'm blown away. Drew, is this something that you've known about? Like, do people use this in Northern Florida?
1: <laughs> no,
0: uh,
1: no, we don't. We don't use swamp buggies. Uh, it's all four wheelers and ATVs and stuff. I've, you know, the only time I've ever seen a swamp buggy was on Swamp People, you know, on the <laughs> TV show. And, 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 and so this is amazing. I'm just sitting back, just listening. And it's, you know, talking about using, using the swamp buggy to jump up deer. I mean, that's, that's what we would do in North Florida just with, uh, just with, uh, dogs, you know. And so it's just, I've never heard of this type of hunting before. And it's, and it's crazy because, because I, I grew up in Florida. I was born and raised in Florida. And I just never, never heard of this um, type of hunting. And I just think it's incredible. It's so interesting.
0: So, Ryan, is there a
1: culture... Is,
0: is there a culture of deer hunters there? Like, and is it a big, huge deal? Or is it kind of like few and far between? Because, again, when I think about southern Florida, I think about Miami, you know, I, you just don't see a lot of, like, outdoorsmen coming out of that area. So I want to know, is this something that, like... You have a lot of hunting buddies, and it's a big deal, and opening day is going to be loaded up with people? Or is it just kind of like you're the only one in your group of friends that deer hunts t- type deal?
2: It's a big deal. It's a very big deal. Um, Florida is pretty rich with public land, um, and there's a lot of lease property as well. Believe it or not, it, it, it would be cheaper for me to go to Alabama or Georgia and lease a piece of property than it would be to lease a piece of property here. Wow. Far cheaper, actually, um, because there are that many people that, that are looking for a place to hunt um, of their own okay. down here. In fact, uh, let's see, Fort Myers, Fort Lauderdale, Miami, Orlando, Tampa. I think there's six or seven Bass Pro Shops in Florida
0: yeah yeah
2: that makes um, sense if that gives you any idea of the outdoor you know the people that are looking for something to do outdoors obviously the fishing is a big part of that right
1: sure
2: um but mm-hmm. no if there's in fact we have a quota a draw system for most of the public land and if you don't have four or five preference points you can forget about getting one of the good one of the one of the better hunts in in the area Wow. Or within within a four hour driving range anyways. That's,
0: that's so yes,
2: there's a it is a big culture. In fact, the areas I was telling you about uh, Cecil Webb, it's a nine day hunt. They give out I forget exactly how many quiz, I wanna say it's four hundred, five hundred. It's a giant party. Um, it's uh the there the swamp buggy thing is, is big enough that there are there are quite a few people that make a living building and fabricating swamp buggies, <laughs> uh, and make a very good living doing it. <laughs>
0: that's cool.
2: So it's it's a big part. Everybody shows up to show off their great big jacked up, you know, uh, 500 horsepower uh, machine to kill a 75 pound deer.
0: <laughs> so you, so there, there are a lot of, a lot of hunters would kind of establish that, which that's in the, the couple of times that I've hunted in Florida, I realized that there's definitely a culture of deer hunters there. It, it's kind of a different culture, but then there's guys who are like, and, and I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. There's guys, there's the type of people that are listening to hunting podcasts and there's the type of people that are, you know, really, really trying to learn and, guys like yourself trying to learn what deer actually do and not just going out there with their guns and their natty lights and all that stuff. Like there's guys that are really trying to figure these deer out and that's a whole different category. And I'm not trying to like bash the other group of guys because that's definitely a part of, you know, the, like you said, a, a, a Florida heritage. Um, and, and that's fine. But then there's the guys that are the hardcores. Um, Is there a lot of those type of guys there where you're at?
1: There
2: are, um, there aren't as many. Uh, One of the, you know, the big cypress, like as I mentioned, is roughly 700,000 acres. And so I do a good bit of hunting down there. And and I've heard a lot of people say, well, there's just people everywhere. Um, The way I see it is if you're hunting next to somebody, it's because you choose to. Yeah. There's enough land. Yeah that you should be able to find a spot all of your own if you're willing to put the hard work in and, and put the miles in.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's, I think that's anywhere. We talk about it a lot. We talk about, um, you know, if you, if you have the the drive and the willingness to go out and try to figure out, not only figure out more about the deer, but figure out more about the land and, and hunt some of those harder to get to areas and things like that you're going to find that most people are not willing to do that and so that's that's really interesting to hear coming from you and and i think you know definitely when i think of south florida i'm not thinking of like hardcore deer hunting or anything like that but knowing that there are guys like yourself down there doing that is pretty cool that's i think that's good as far as just like you know learning about you and um the area that you hunt and things like that drew do you have anything on that note
1: no, I was. I'm. I'm just really ready to, to um, pick Ryan's brain on on how he goes about, you know, finding um, finding these deer, basically in a, uh, in a, a 700,000 square foot swamp. You know,
0: 700,000 acre, right?
1: Yes. Acre, so, sorry. 700,000
0: square, square feet. I don't know if that's like massive.
1: <laughs> well, I couldn't kill a deer in that.
0: So I mean, you know. but. What if? What if this episode we found out that Drew, when he looks at the number on like the public land that he's hunting, the acreage number, he's thought it was square feet this whole time.
1: Like, that's that's <laughs> why I could only shoot at does and hit trees in front of them. Parker, that's the only
0: reason why. <laughs> uh, we've all done it. <laughs> that's funny. That's awesome. All right. So Ryan, I want to get into your style of hunting. So um, obviously you hunt uh, what you you called Big Cypress, the Everglades. Um, just this swampy type area that does not look like it would be easy to hunt. Tell me a little bit about your style of hunting. And what I mean by that is like, what is your, um, what what kind of tactics are you using? Um, wh- how are you accessing and things like that? Things that, um, you know, when you look at a piece of property, how you kind of go over it. So we're going to, we're going to kind of hit on a lot of things right here. Um, but I think it's going to be very valuable to the podcast. So first and foremost, tell me about your style of hunting um, and, and and kind of what you're using if you're using a tree stand, saddle, uh, still hunting, stuff like that. Just an overall, like a, a brief overview of your style.
2: So uh, I love the bow hunt. That's my, my, if I could choose the rest of my life to spend my life hunting with one one way it would be with a bow and you know and, and stick in my hand, um, so that would be option number one. And to do so, um, I, I like to be I like to be in a position that I can I can have the opportunity to uh, to kill a deer or harvest an animal or have a shot at an animal from my stand. But I also like to be able to see a long ways if possible. So when I'm looking for an area to hunt. Obviously, I'm looking for higher deer populations, um, but I'm looking for an area that I can put a stand up, uh, a climber, typically uh, moving towards the saddle here very soon. That I can get up off the ground and and be able to glass and 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 look for deer. They're they're kind of hard to see when they're smaller and in tall grass, um, but really be able to kind of use that as an opportunity to scout as I'm hunting. And then in that same same token if I feel like that animal is in a vulnerable, killable area that I can, that I can slip in or then I will, then I'll try to slip on them and, and, and make something happen. Or, you know, depending on the time of the year that, it, you know, that we're in, if it's early, early September in big Cypress, which is kind of the tail end of the rut, if you can find a find the buck out on, on his own moving around then you can use some different techniques to actually bring them to you so that's kind of my preferred I like to be in a perched position that I can have an opportunity to shoot but also use that area to scout a quarter mile half mile a mile circumference around me at the same time
0: so there's a couple things in there that I want to I want to kind of hit on and and ask you to break down for me so that's that's Honestly, for the guys that we talk to most of the time on the podcast, um, they're usually saying hunt thick, like hunt the thickets, find those really thick areas, um, and that's where you're going to find the bucks at. Uh, you you seem to be saying something that's quite the opposite. Granted, what you're hunting is quite the opposite um, type area, anyways. But whenever you're whenever you're up in a in a tree and you're kind of in one of those open areas. Um, scouting and scouting slash hunting are you finding that the deer in those areas especially when it comes to bucks and mature bucks are they usually traveling in those thicker areas um and you're just seeing them from a long ways away or is it kind of i guess is that really influencing how they travel at all there
2: no i don't think it's really influencing how they travel at all um so part of part of the reason that I, I like to hunt that is I can scout it. But you know we have these cabbage heads or pine heads with palmettos in them, and usually they will change in elevation by two or three feet. So that may mean now that that cabbage head or pine head is up out of the water, which would give um, an animal an opportunity for a place to bed. So what I've noticed um, over the last fifteen years of, of hunting a few particular areas is that the more mature deer when they're on their feet and moving will actually go from pine head to pine head to pine head, cypress head to cypress head, or same thing with cabbage head, actually circling downwind of them, checking for a bedded doe or a hot doe in that particular area. So usually I will set up on the, on the downwind side if possible to try to put myself in a position to catch that mature animal coming by. But as far as mature animals walking in the open, when the time is right, when they're feeling it, they will walk across the middle of a one mile wide open prairie. Wow. But they can disappear instantly.
0: Yeah.
2: Because of the height of the grass and, and there's little flag ponds or bushes. They can they'll just vanish almost instantly. In fact, um, when it's drier, they'll actually bed down out in these, these wide-open prairie, sawgrass prairies, I, much like they will in corn, you know, um, yeah, farm fields and corn and things of that nature.
0: So when you, um, when you say mature deer, I, I want to know if it's a little bit different. What is the age class of a mature buck in that area?
2: Oh, my goodness. So that's a... <laughs> Um, I, I like to, I, I like to try to hunt four-year-olds. Um, it's not always possible. You s- seldomly see one, uh, but they are there. Um, I think that there are not a lot of deer that in in the in the that area that make it to five and six. I just really don't think there are in all my years of hunting down there and riding buggies and, and such. I could probably say that I've only seen maybe a dozen that I would say were five and a half, maybe six-year-old animals. Wow! Um, And I would say it would be generous.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's. uh, I mean, that that's typical of what I would think. You know, um, for an area like that, would you say it's because of the just the kind of the nature of the property and the water and maybe some of the predators, or would you say that's due to hunting pressure?
2: Um, A little bit of everything. So it's obviously a harsh environment. Um, You know, if they spend seven months of the year walking through ankle to sometimes waist-deep water, Um, you know, obviously we have cottonmouths, we have rattlesnakes uh, and we have pythons now, um, big enough to eat deer. We have alligators. There are coyotes. There are bears, and we have the Florida famous panther, um, which, according to statistics, will take uh, a mature cat will eat a deer a week, um, which is a pretty high number if you start calculating how many cats are actually living in Florida. Hmm. Wow! So wow. I think it's you know all of the above, and then also the hunting pressure up until. Oh, what was it? Four or five years ago, maybe, six years ago. Um, you could shoot a spike five inches above the hairline. And in most people that are out there unfortunately will harvest a spike. Um, you know, now now it's only uh three point, so it's a forked horn, so you know, still a yearling. Just right. had better genetics. So now unfortunately we're getting rid of the better genetic yearlings versus <laughs> the the ones that are going to grow up and, you know, not produce as much.
0: Yeah. When you when you say uh, kind of sticking in the same subject, when you talk about a mature buck, what like what can a guy expect, uh, you know, a 4-year-old buck to score there? There? Like in in the Everglades and in that area.
2: In the Everglades. If you kill a deer it goes a hundred inches, you, you you put him on the wall. Right. Just that, that is a, that's like shooting a uh, 170 in the Midwest,
0: okay. 180
2: or, or, or better. Um, I've not killed a hundred inch deer in the Cypress. Uh, my uncle who was hunting his entire life has killed the 98 inch deer in a Cypress. And that was back when you were allowed to basically hunt off of a buggy. Um, My brother has not. I've got one friend who killed one that went right at a hundred. I know of a buck that went one nineteen, which is just like woo, wow. Yeah.
0: Um, however, that deer was
2: tiny. It was it was one of the smallest deer. It was like a the deer was like eighty five pounds on the hoof versus some that we've seen <laughs> that go one thirty five, one forty. So, Jeez. um, my father did kill one with a rifle. Um let's see probably nine years ago that gross scored one twelve and so that's the that's the biggest i've i've personally set eyes on um well set hands on i've seen some down there that would would go in that range, but if you kill if you kill a hundred inch if you if you kill a ninety ninety five inch deer down there, especially with a bow and arrow, you have done something
0: wow. That's so cool. I mean, it's it, it's so cool to see just the differences in that and how you know. I mean, honestly, like there's like a nationwide scale that honestly I think needs to be adjusted for the state of Florida. And when you talk about even, I mean, even though even here in Alabama, um, there's there's some adjustment. All regions are not the same, and some of these. You know, um, Pope and Young, Boone and Crockett. It, they just they need to be adjusted for different states. And but that's just crazy to hear. You know that uh, you personally, you know, you personally don't know anybody that shot a deer over what was it, one nineteen or something like that. Like that's pretty not down not down there. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's. I mean, yeah, that to me, that's that's crazy. So so when you're when you're targeting deer, you're gonna basically probably shoot anything, um, you know, over what seventy inches or something like that.
2: Yeah, that, I'd say that's a fair estimate. I mean, if I feel like he's a, if I feel like he's a three and a half pushing four year old, I will, I'll make an attempt. Uh, if he gets me excited, you know. Yeah. For um, sure. I'll make an attempt to harvest that animal. Also that will determine, uh, will also greatly depend on what my freezer looks like.
0: Yeah. I understand that too. <laughs> I get both of those. <laughs> and,
2: I, I, and, and unfortunately, you know, we're not allowed to shoot does down here.
0: No does. On, so you're, on you're land. only killing bugs. No, no oh. no no. No. Huh. Wow. Public
2: land. There are a couple of management areas that will allow you to harvest a doe. Um, And unfortunately, some of those are, the the, the verbiage is a buck or a doe. So you save up all these points to draw that particular area, you harvest the doe, you're done.
0: Wow. Which a doe Uh, is kind of like a a once-in-a-lifetime thing there, too. So it's kind of like, well, that's cool. Yeah,
2: now private land, you can kill them. Okay. But public land, you cannot.
0: Wow. That's pretty incredible. So let's dive into, I guess, literally dive into your access. So you're talking about using a, a buggy a lot and but you also mentioned doing some slipping and um, when I think about that you know I'm thinking definitely hip waders are going to be a must talk a little bit about how you're how you're accessing typically and and what you're doing in that type of environment to be able to pull off like a successful spot and stock or something like that
2: okay so there are different zones within the, the big type National Preserve. Um, some of them you're allowed to archery, muzzle and general gun hunt. Some of them you have to draw permits for some of those hunts. Others, uh, one of the areas that I like to hunt is a archery only period. There's no ever anything but a bow taken in there. It is also foot access only. It is roughly five and a half to six mile this particular zone, five and a half to six miles wide by 25 miles long and you cannot access it with anything it's foot traffic only um so depending upon how you enter which side you enter from one you may need a canoe or a, a kayak across a canal uh, others you, you would not you would just walk in as far as hip waders, forget that idea you will die you will <laughs> literally, literally take them off and leave them in the woods um, so you typically, I mean, you go as light as you can. Uh, it's September. It's 1,000 degrees, a million percent humidity. And you're walking through, anywhere, like I said, anywhere from ankle-deep water to usually, I mean, if you kind of pick your way around, you can avoid getting over knee-deep unless you just like to walk a straight line and go right to the middle of a flag pond or a cypress head.
0: Yeah.
2: You can avoid that. The issue that I found is um, because of the grass and the water, every step you're you're lifting your foot either up and out of the water and over the grass or you're dragging it through the grass. I would say it is some of the hardest access that I've ever hunted. And I've hunted Oregon, Indiana, Alabama, Georgia, uh, Missouri, Arizona, and nothing has ever broken me down like hunting in Cyprus. A mile in the Cyprus was a climber on your back, a backpack stuffed flat full of water and Gatorades because you're going to sweat every bit of it out of you. So you know, your backpack now is 25, 30 pounds. you got your feet on your back, your bow in your hand, your binoculars. Um, a mile, mile and a half down there, you'll, we'll put it on you. It doesn't sound like a lot, but... Um, you will be 100% soaking wet before sun breaks.
0: Jeez. So, uh, number so one... So, you can basically take
2: scent control out of the equation.
0: Yes. Definitely. You need a saddle, bro. <laughs> I'm, s- <laughs> I'm sweating just <laughs> I <hear> here. You. <laughs> I'm sweating hearing you talk about it. Um, so, so you pretty much, like, you're pretty much going out, like, sweat aside. Like, you're taking you know, boots in that wet environment, you're going out pretty much every day knowing that you're going to have wet feet at some point. Oh,
2: absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. No. Um, you can wear rubber boots. Uh, problem is with that. Once they fill up with water, now you're carrying that water around until you dump it out. Yeah. Um, so I, I yeah, I, I pretty much give up on having dry feet. So do you just, they're going to be wet.
0: What do you do do you just like wear crocs and just go or how is that how are you how are you navigating um, that no you
2: know it, it depends I, I try to wear as light weight as lightweight possible so like wading boots like for fishing you get a little zip up little neoprene that come up to your just above your ankle and they zip up yeah um those work pretty good they're fairly light problem is they don't have a lot of support so your feet tend to hurt really bad afterwards mm-hmm. um but they're lightweight, they move through the grass easy, they're quiet when stalking an animal. Some folks choose to use tennis shoes. Um, you can get light, fairly lightweight neoprene like knee boots. Um, I don't wear snake boots because they just there's too much restriction on the movement. I, I do wear you know, like wrap around snake chaps because I'm going in the dark and really not looking where I'm putting my feet, not to mention I can't see my feet anyways. But yeah, as far as clothing, Basically, you're just going to go as light as possible and um, something that's not going to carry. Once it hits water, it's not going to absorb too much and carry too much of that water because that's just extra weight that you're having to carry.
0: Wow. That's pretty crazy. Drew, you have anything on that?
1: Oh, man. Um, it's, just, it's just so different. It's crazy because I, 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 like I said, I, I lived in Florida and um, this hunting never even existed to me. Um, so when it when it comes to, like, you, you were talking around about, like, scent control and stuff. You basically throw that out the window. Do you, do you hunt the wind? Do you, do you use thermals? Do you not use thermals? Or do you just set up with your best chance and just say, this? I mean, uh, wind or not, this is where I'm going? Yeah, pretty much. Wind or, wind or not, this is
2: where I'm going. Um, you know, and that, that changes um, as the wind changes. On a daily basis, uh, depending on thunderstorms and you know things of that nature, they'll come up and the wind will change on dime. Uh, so, yeah, scent control is one of those things that you're just not, you're not going to be scent free. You just, you're just simply, you're not. I've got friends that carry an extra change of clothes with them. They get to the stand, they take their wet clothes off, they change them. You still smell um, your clothes that you just took off and put in the trash bag still smell. Um, so normally I get in the stand and the boots come off, the socks come off and we start airing out, start drying out a little bit until the until the walkout
0: comes in. <laughs> That's nuts.
1: Yeah. One of one of one of the things I wanted to ask you too was do you um you were saying um the bucks uh tend to check the um the high points there there in the swamp. So do you um mm-hmm. do do you do you focus mainly on them or, or, or do you like like you said, do you do you find like a like a big um grass swamp and then um just sit up over there and then and then watch it? So I I tend to I tend to
2: well number one, the trees usually grow out of the little heads, whether it's a cabbage tree or a pine tree growing out of a of a of a cabbage head or a pine head or or a right. cypress tree and a little cypress head in the middle, um, and they're usually the, the areas. Like I said, they are prairies with you know cabbage heads, pine heads, and cypress heads scattered throughout. And so you tend to be able to see deer crossing. And you'll if you if you pay attention close enough, long enough, you'll see that those deer are using the same trails over and over again. And so that's when I'll take and make my move to be able to set up on an, on a particular animal that I've seen. And then hope hope that he uh, uses that trail again.
0: So awesome, awesome. Uh, So that's that's pretty cool. And I, I want to dive kind of into that. You know, where you're actually hunting and choosing to set up. And um, you mentioned before that you do a lot of aerial scouting to try to find new areas and to try to find places where you feel like. Um, would be a uh, a good pinch point or something like that. Can you kind of talk about your process of aerial scouting a little bit?
2: Yeah, so um, so I, like I said, I do a lot of cyber scouting, and you know, if you're going to hunt in the thick stuff or in the cypress heads, you may not be able to see as many of the game trails because there is so much grass um, and, and the water that the animals tend to lay lay the grass down, so you can actually. A lot of those trails through cyber scouting, you do need to put boots on the ground to verify that they are in fact deer using those trails and not just an otter or a family of otters or a twelve-foot alligator, um, you know, or a bear trail coming out of a, a thick cypress head.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, so you know you can be fooled by those, but you know we have to put boots on the ground. I try. So because I've I've, I've hunted bear for quite a while, I, I happen to know certain areas that, that tend to hold more deer than others and you know, kind of basing off of last, a lot of last year's information with cyber scouting, I try not to put as much scent in there as possible. Unfortunately, because I am sweating so much uh, through the access, even just scouting with just a backpack and no stand, I am leaving a lot of scent and making a lot of noise walking through the water. So I try to stay out of those areas as much as possible Leading up to opening weekend, so I don't, you know, I'm not in there every weekend putting out cameras and checking them. Uh, Cyber, you know, uh, cell cameras are nice um, if you can get reception. But as far as finding a place, you know, I I I, I cyber scout obviously look for those trails crossing from going from head to head uh, or the heavier deer trail populations. Uh, when I'm putting boots on the ground, I'm looking for the tracks. I'm looking for obviously the buff rubs and scrapes um, and trying to find a scrape line or, or a rub line. Uh, and that will give me an idea of the quality or the age of the animals using the area based upon obviously the size of the track, um, based on size of the trees they're using, how aggressive they're getting with the trees or the shrubs that they're rubbing on. I'll tend to use those at kind of a gauge age of the animals. Um, and then I will look for easy access. Um, where are the deer gonna be at when I'm when I'm entering? Okay. Am I going to be running the deer out of the prairie when I'm walking across that prairie? If so, how do I get to where I want to set up so that when the deer are coming off the prairie if I'm feeding the back of bedding, that I I don't, you know, I haven't bust them all up so all of those things will come into play when with cyber scouting and also putting foods on the ground
0: so our you talked about deer feeding are they actually feeding is kind of is the prairie i guess kind of your your food source i guess for lack of it doesn't seem like they probably of food there. <laughs> there
2: there's a lot of food um, all right. you know deer browsers they don't usually typically feed on one particular uh, veggie, vegetation for a very long time. Depending on the time of the year, uh, we'll determine whether they're feeding on oak. acorns more than 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 palmetto berries. Um, September is usually a good time to catch them feeding on palmetto berries, uh, and there are a lot of palmettos. So to set up on one head would be, you know, very difficult. As far as the prairies go, there are so many different vegetations and grasses out there. It is very difficult to pinpoint what they're feeding on. They also feed a lot in Cypress Heads. So, unfortunately, there's not really a, a way to hunt a food source uh, in the Cypress. Wow. That, Just- that I've come across, but anyways, that, I, that I've noticed.
0: Yeah, it, it seems like maybe they can be, there can really be food anywhere. Is there any places that you're, like, sold on, obviously the higher ground, is going to be the more obvious bedding locations. Is there any differences between what you find mature bucks bedding versus young bucks and doe groups and things like that? Um, yeah.
2: Typically the, the, the more, from what I've noticed anyways, the more mature deer are bedding kind of off on their own. Yeah, they're, they're picking out, you know, uh, it's interesting, but you walk through a cypress head and there'll just be a little mound. that's four foot, five, five foot, it's off the ground. Maybe it was created by a couple of cypress knees growing up. And that is usually a good, um, usually there's a more mature animal using that bed. Now I'm not going to say that younger animals won't use it or does won't use it as well. But typically when I jump a deer off of a bed like that, when I'm in scouting or something, he's a pretty good animal.
0: So last week we talked to a guy named Nathan uh, Killen, and he hunts the mountains of Virginia. And one of the things he was talking about was that a lot of the areas that have the most sign are the ones that he's kind of avoiding. And he's going to those areas where maybe the sign is a a little more scarce, but that's where he's finding more of the mature bucks, is that true down there in the Everglades or is it kind of just, you know, if there's deer, there's deer and that's pretty much what you're looking at?
2: Yeah, I, I can't say that that would be necessarily true down here or at least not that I've noticed um, because of the the population of the deer and how, kind of, and how hit or miss it tends to be um i I tend to focus on higher concentrations um, oh. to give myself a better opportunity,
0: okay, I got gotcha. you. so you're talking about speaking of opportunity. you kind of mentioned you know you like to hunt big big areas where you can see a long ways and and we talked you know before we hit record, we talked about you know those opportunities being a lot more scarce than maybe a guy in the midwest or even more than a guy in northern florida you know it just maybe a little more uh difficult to get those shot opportunities how are you setting up like where you're picking your spot um to actually hang your stand at uh hopefully saddle soon um how are you picking your spot and what does that spot normally look like
2: So it's going to be, it's typically going to be uh, like I said, higher concentration of the deer activity um, through sign, through trails, and cyber scouting. Um, if I'm if I'm archery hunting, even into the deer, even into their muzzle or rifle hunting, it, it's going to be some place I can see a long ways. Um, but it's usually going to be, or I'm going to try to set up on the on the kind of the downwind side of either a cypress head, a cabbage head or a pine head. <clears throat> that way, as, as these animals are coming off the prairie, they're, a lot of times they'll kind of walk from head to head uh, or just off the edge of the heads. But the more mature deer that I've noticed uh, will actually circle, uh, make big loops out across the prairie when they're on the move, when, they're, when the feeling is right, and, and check head after head after head after head because that's where the does will be bedded, looking for that hot doe. Um, I don't think it's anything any different than hunting out in the Midwest when you have um, you know elevation changes and and the does will be on a ridge top or somewhere the bucks tend to circle downwind of what they can call the bedding areas yeah. looking for that checking that bedding area for a hot doe and so I don't really think this is much different than that in in any way and so I will tend to set up in
0: those areas. Is there something that screams to you like um, I- give an example and everybody who listens to this already knows this about me so I'm not telling them anything new but it is something to maybe try to um get an answer from you on this so something that screams to me like this is where I'm gonna hunt like this is a a spot I need to check out at least is a um a clear cut with a hard transition to pines also in there a hard transition to uh, hardwoods and then some type of terrain feature um, close to that three-way transition line Um, that screams to me like I need to I need to be here is there something that when you look at a map and you see it it just is like more than any other area that doesn't mean that this is the only type of areas that you hunt but more than anything else screams I need to be right here
2: yes um i love finding a prairie a small secluded prairie in the middle of thick woods Um, so that that is one thing so if i can find that hidden prairie that's in a cypress that Nobody else has thought about accessing, or people look at it and say, "No way, I'm not. I'm just not going to do that." That is one thing. Another is, you can look at some of these these prairies, and if you just kind of look at them from a bird's eye view, you might you might look over it. But I believe that you know there are cypress heads, and then there's little strings of cabbage heads. I believe that you can use those as pinch points. Um, where instead of the deer, you know, won't necessarily all the time do this, but sometimes they will. They will kind of work from head to head to head, and as far as I'm concerned, that's as good as a funnel. Instead of just that animal walking across the middle of a half mile wide open prairie, yeah. they will use these heads not only as cover, but but like I said, using them to check check for hot does. And I, like I said, I, I believe that to be, you know, I'm, obviously I'm sitting where I can see maybe a mile in every direction or a mile in a couple of directions or several hundred yards anyways. But that is to me as good as a funnel.
0: So these, these prairies are not, like you're not talking like a couple hundred yards. You're talking like at least a few hundred square feet, right, Drew? <laughs> like, Yes
1: for footage. For footage,
0: you're talking from uh, the sides of your house, <laughs> right there. but you're talking like a good distance, like a long ways yes, sir,
2: like like you need your you need your binos
0: and is this like a glassing type scenario like or are you like especially with a rifle, are you planning on you know taking shots, are you prepared to take shots up to you know four to five hundred yards or? Up to a hundred yards or so, or sixty or seventy yards with a bow. Like, are you, or or is this just like mm-hmm. glassing? I want I want to know kind of just what your setup looks like and what you're preparing for when the opportunity does come, if it com- if it ever comes.
2: So I'm prepared. I'm prepared to take a shot out of my stand. Uh, I'm I'm going to put myself in a position where I I feel it's I feel like that's the best position. To, to get a shot at a buck from my family. But I'm also going to be prepared to glass, to find an animal or, or potentially see a buck, um, and then get down and make a move on that animal as well. So, so whether that be with a rifle or a bow. You know, if he's half a mile away or a mile away, then obviously we go with a rifle, I've got, to, I've got to close the distance. Yeah. Uh, with a bow, depending on which direction he is in, uh, I, I will make a move as well. Now, if I'm already three miles in and he's another mile farther, probably not making that move today. Um, might not make it out. Yeah. So, you know, that'll, that'll be something that I prepare for maybe for my next, my next trip
0: in, in a couple of days. Okay. So what's your, what's your shot? Uh distance like range what are you trying to look for and what are you willing to take
2: with a bow or with a rifle
0: uh we'll start with a bow and then go into a rifle
2: so with a bow um so a little backstory i actually i have a good buddy of mine lives out in tucson arizona and he's been asking me for years to come out there and chase these coos deer around the mountains with him in southern arizona so this past January I actually did so. And he told me that I need to be hitting a pie plate at hundred yards every shot. So I started playing the stabilizer game and the adjustable sights and all that stuff. And and I got I got really comfortable uh, out to ninety. I just I couldn't get any more elevation out of my sight than ninety, so that's where I stopped. I figured if he wasn't if I couldn't get a shot at him at ninety, then I was not gonna do that. Um and you know, being in Florida. I've never taken a shot like that. I've never even thought about taking a shot at 90. Um, so I got pretty comfortable and was ready to, if necessary, make that shot out to 90 yards on an animal that is not aware that I'm there. You know, there's a lot of people that will say that is unethical, that is this and that. Well, one, of the, one of the benefits, I believe, in taking that shot at that distance is that animal does not – if he doesn't know you're there, especially – he doesn't hear the bow go off. It's too far for him to hear the bow go off, so he's not really ducking the string. Whereas at, at a 30 to 40 yards, you know, he hears the bow, and there's an auto, that, that automatic reaction of, of trying to duck the string or duck the arrow. So there's, you know, positives and negatives. Now, so that was the backstory. So I got very comfortable off the ninety. I, I really, um, 50 if the wind conditions are right, again the animal is not does not he's not aware that I'm there, he's not on alert, thing something of that nature, I I might take a shot 60, But again it would have to be the right conditions. Yeah. The perfect shot. With a rifle, um, same thing. Conditions are to be right. Um, about four hundred yards.
0: Wow, that's that's a poke. Just a poke out there. Um, are you doing anything yes. like, like to like specific to make sure you're zeroed in to that range? I mean, obviously you've got to be shooting some in the off season to prepare for that, right?
2: Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah, the the last. I mean, I, I try to shoot year round. This year has been a little bit of an exception. Uh, I, I left my garage open overnight. Uh, back right after. I got back from Arizona and somebody came in and one of them was my bow. So I recently nice. purchased a new one. It took me a little while, but I found the one I wanted and purchased it. So I'm just starting to get into that, that shooting game. But I like to try to shoot at least a handful of arrows a day. I don't have to shoot a lot, but I need to shoot – I like to shoot every single day. I also made this little – it's kind of silly, but I took a little uh, dumbbell that, you know, you can put adjustable weights on it and – it took uh, some of my bow fishing string and tied a loopers on the top and tie a loop on the bottom and made it um, just long enough to fit my draw length and when I put this little wire on top of it as like a pin for my sight and I just hold it out there and hold, try to hold it as steady as possible and work on my trigger release and work on my you know pulling through the shot and not snatching the trigger and not you know, taking my eyes off the game so I, I like to do that as well just to exercise those muscles and exercise the the visualizations of the shots.
0: Sure. Are you, are you already doing that with, uh, with a rifle and everything as well? With a rifle?
2: Yes. Yeah. I, I, um, I I don't rifle hunt that much, but I do shoot, um, enough to know where my rifle is hitting at
1: those distances.
0: Yeah. Okay. Drew, you have anything on that?
1: Um, yeah, just just a couple things. Um, when it, talk, talking about access again, Ryan, like I know here, um, and and for most guys, uh, we we actually use water to our advantage. Like if we have a stream, we'll 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 walk up it, you know, to keep our scent in it. Do you find there with so much water? I mean, water being everywhere. Do you find that you do? You, do you spook more deer walking in? Um, just based on all the predators and everything, do you spook more deer? walking in with, with, with all the water or do they just kind of just not jump unless something gets right on top of them?
2: No, they, they typically will spook. Um, you'll never see them. You'll hear especially in the dark, obviously you're not going to see them then, but you'll just kind of be walking along and all of a sudden you stop because you think you hear something in a 150 yards away. You can hear deer running through the water or eight or 10 deer running through the water. Um, but yeah, we yeah you spook a lot of deer, which which is why you know you try to you try to access in a way that is going to a- allow you to get to your stand without spooking those deer.
1: But it but it's inevitable, um, unfortunately. Right. Right. Yeah, and the 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 other thing I, I was wondering about was when it comes to uh, 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 bug betting or just betting just generally, um, do you find that it is more um, I I know it's all scent based, but with it being uh, so extreme down there, do you, do you find that it is um, do you do you find them betting more for sight or for smell or a mixture of both? Mixture of both. Um, you know, it was interesting. I I,
2: I did a, a muzzle load hunt two years ago. Um, my cousin and I we packed in. We built these um, we call them rickshaws. They're basically like a wheelbarrow. Uh, that's long and lightweight with a 26-inch bicycle tire in the back. Carts, and we we carried all of our camping gear and everything in um, like four and a half miles, and then from there, used that as our launching pad to hunt. And that opening morning of muzzle load, I walked somewhere in the, between, I don't know, eight and eight to twelve miles, somewhere in that ballpark, and. I was on my way back to camp that afternoon after making my loop, and I was kind of slipping through a, a, um, a, a, a palmetto head on the edge of a cypress. And so the wind was out of the west, and I was walking kind of right down the, the western edge of this palmetto patch, kind of just letting my scent blow back over, over the palmettos to possibly – potentially wind bump a, a buck out of that. You know, it wasn't quite that right time for them to be up on their feet. Then I came to a log, just kind of took a break, and I sat there, and I'm sitting in this log, and I'm thinking, man, there was a little finger that kind of came off of this, 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 this uh, little cabbage head or this palmetto head, and it kind of went right up to the edge of the cypress. And um, I'm sitting there, and, it, and, and from there you could kind of, with a little bit of a clearing to the right and a little bit of clearing to the left of that little – that little point where I'm sitting there on this log, I'm thinking, man, that that is just an ideal spot for a for a, a buck to be bedded down. I mean, he, nothing's going to sneak up on him from behind, right? Because he has to come through the palmetto head, and he's going to make tons of noise, and he can see, all out in front of him through the clearing, and there's easy access to that cypress, which is a great way to play for him to just vanish and get away. And I'm sitting there, I probably sat there for 20 minutes just taking a water break. I stood up and took one step, and right from this point, 30 yards in front of me, up jumps uh, up up, 70, 80-inch 8-point, and in two hops, it's in the cypress, and it's gone. It's just vanished. And I thought, well, isn't that funny? So I, I do believe that they use both scent and sight to their advantage when possible. Yeah.
0: That's crazy. Okay. I mean that's that's really really good stuff, man. And I I know we're we're running short on time. We've talked a lot about the opportunity and just the the I guess really the inevitable which is that where you're at, you know, you're going to opportunities are going to be very rare. And I think everybody who's listening to this is probably wondering just like I am. So you hunt throughout the whole season. How many, if if a guy does their homework like you do, um, really learns how to hunt these areas effectively, how often would you say you're able to have an opportunity on a mature deer?
2: Throughout the entire season, archery, muzzleload, general gun?
0: Yeah, just everything.
2: On a mature deer... If you really put your homework in and you scout, you put boots on the ground, and you spend time in the seat, you should be able to have, I would say, again, with all of those things taken into consideration, you should have a couple of opportunities in a year. Wow.
0: I mean, that's. But that is,
2: when I say a couple of opportunities, I mean like actually spending time. Hunting, not, not hunting, you know, one Saturday morning a month right? or two Saturday mornings a month. I'm talking actually weekend warrior, you know, you're in the stand Saturday morning before the sun comes up. Unfortunately, because access can be quite brutal. A lot of times it's an all day sit till nine o'clock in the evening. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and so that's at if you if you can do that and you can do that, uh, if you put the time in, you'll have a couple of opportunities a year. I'd say two, maybe three. And when I say mature deer, you you know it might be mature deer, but he still may only be seventy, eighty inches.
0: Wow, that's crazy, man. Well, dude, Ryan. Did you guys
2: I, know to enter the Florida Buck Registry? It only has to be a hundred inches. Really? Yeah.
0: So uh, yeah. I was talking to maybe. Um, maybe my buddy Nick Chandler, who's been a guest on the show. Um, I don't know. Do you know Nick, Ryan?
2: It's really familiar, so I would say yes. I probably so, am friends with
0: him on the Insta. So he's got a, a buck that was we talked about in a podcast at the beginning of bow season this last year that got <laughs> stolen. He was hunting a WMA, and uh, a guy, like, he had shot this deer, and he shot it a little farther back. And the deer ended up running about 100 yards to where another guy was hunting and dropped dead. Like didn't have, anyways, I I don't want to get the story mixed up. But anyway, that guy that that took it was baiting. And um, so by the time Nick got to it and tracked it, it it was gone. The guy had already registered it. And he got the whole, so Nick got the whole shot on camera and everything. And I mean, it's a tank, and I think that was going to be his, maybe his first deer in the Florida Buck Registry or something like that. Um, mm. And I, I could be getting stories mixed up, but I believe that that was what he told us. So um, I mean, that's 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 crazy. And I'm glad that Florida has that. I guess I was more saying like on the national scale of Pope and Young, Boone and Crockett, um, and those yeah. type of it really should be adjusted for you know especially Florida like Florida is just it, it's unreasonable to me to think that Florida should be in the same class but and maybe they have and I just, I just don't know but
2: yeah it is and really Florida is I mean Florida can produce some really good animals um, just different zones you know um, yeah. trying to have their own you know not not I mean I'm so so, Cyprus is about an hour to an hour and 20 minutes away from me, south. And just north of me, another hour, I, I know guys that, 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 that when now this is not public land, this is private land, but when fed nutrition and and when allowed to get to five and a half, six and a half years old, seven years old on ranches, not necessarily high fence, but you know, private ranches, they're killing 150, 160 inch
0: animals. Yeah.
2: So, you know, Florida can produce those um, in certain areas. And obviously, North Florida, you get into Washington County and up that direction, Madison, they kill some absolute giants. I think the Florida, the record uh, in Florida actually came out of, I believe, Hillsborough County, and it's like a 206. Yeah. Um, but that was some genetic mutation of the deer that just never, his horns never stopped growing. So, yeah. Um, yeah, it, it, it's, a, it's very much, your trophy is relative to where you're hunting, you know when I was in Arizona, I killed a 94 inch deer. and my buddy that lives out there and under his entire life out there told me he says that is like killing a 160 muley. You put that on the wall.: wow. So he is a taxidermist currently.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> that's cool. That, that'd be a really fun hunt, but um, dude: yeah, It's a great hunt, actually. I, I really want to go and, and try one of those. Uh, Western hunts like that at some point um, I think it'd be a lot of fun, but I'll tell you one thing um, for me I really, really, really you've just made my bug to kill a deer in Florida even bigger, like that's been one of my greatest goals, I've hunted it now for two years and um, I haven't been able to kill a buck, but I've had a blast learning and talking and part of the reason why I like having Florida guests on the show is because I feel like it makes me that much closer to being able to kill a buck for myself in Florida. And uh, so, man, I do, <laughs> I do really appreciate you coming on the show, man. And uh, like I said, local legends, average guys having above ad- average success. And it sounds like you're putting in above average work to be able to do that. And so, man, I just commend you for it. Great job. I hope your season, which is about to kick off, like this month, right? Like in July
2: yeah like i said it's either the last weekend of july or the first weekend of august i can't remember which right now but i'm sure i'll be on the phone
1: looking it up as soon as we hang up
0: that's awesome dude well man i do appreciate it again drew do you have any more questions for ryan
1: no man this is it's been so cool just um like i said grew up in florida and didn't even know this type of hunting existed and and so it's been very very cool just to sit back and, and and listen to and it's, and, Ryan. Hopefully, we can see some, um, you know, um, some deer on either your Facebook or Instagram this this uh, upcoming fall or summer, actually. <laughs> summer, you in July. So <laughs>
0: that's crazy. Well, Ryan, absolutely.
2: Dude, Looking forward to it.
0: Again, really appreciate it. Thanks for coming on the show.
2: You got it, guys. Thanks for having me. Have a wonderful evening.
0: All right, thanks again, Ryan, for coming on the show, guys. I hope you enjoyed that. Like I said, that was episode two of the Local Legends series. We're going to be doing this series all throughout the month of July, and uh, I think you're going to enjoy some of our guests we've got coming up. We're going to be covering Tennessee, Arkansas, and Alabama. It's going to be a blast. We've got some really cool guests lined up for that, and uh, I do not think you'll want to miss it. I um, want to get, tell you guys before we go, one more thing that you can win the Tethered Phantom Saddle. Um, if you know anything about saddle hunting, you know that the phantom is a big deal It's the best saddle, uh, in my opinion that's been made so far It's so freaking awesome so comfortable and you can win one all you have to do is go to the southern ground hunting youtube Channel and subscribe and that's all you've got to do like i've said before We are moving all of our hunting content and video content to the southern ground hunting channel on our own channel now Um, and we're super excited about that Um, But want to let you guys know that you can, in fact, win a tethered phantom saddle for free by subscribing to the Southern Ground Hunting YouTube channel. Also check us out on Facebook at Southern Ground Hunting, on Instagram at Southern Ground Hunting. You can also go to our website at southerngroundhunting.com and you can find some of our merch, we've got hats and shirts and stuff like that for sale, we've got a blog on there um, that is not updated a lot because i feel like i'm a pretty crappy writer um but uh there is some good stuff there as well that's southerngroundhunting.com and that is going to be it for today thank you guys so much for listening and if you are going to be out in the woods remember that god gave you dominion over the birds of the air the fish of the sea and the beasts of the earth so go out and exercise that dominion we'll talk to you next time